Welcome to Everyday News with the Blantons. That's Dr. Latasha and Mark Blanton. On this show, you'll learn, through education, awareness, and promotion, exactly how you view the world and your place in it. Now, here are the hosts of the program, Dr. Latasha and Mark Blanton. Welcome, and it is yet another Monday. You are now listening to Everyday with the Blantons. I am your host, Latasha Blanton, and I have my husband, Mark Blanton, and we would like to remind you to connect with us on all of our social media contacts via Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Please don't forget to log on to our website, info, um, www.therealsouthafrica.com, and you can send us an email at info at therealsouthafrica.com. Today's show, we're just going to have a little bit of fun, go through some history as far as like black Americans are concerned. And we're going to discuss why we think black Americans should live outside of the United States and why we think it's so hard for them to make those types of decisions. We'll highlight some benefits of living outside of the country and we'll share uh, why some other people have decided to do that as well. So we're just going to get started with that. How are you doing today, babe? I'm doing okay. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. <laughs> well, it depends on where you are. It could be afternoon. All right. So um, just briefly, we're going to, you know, I, I will say for myself when it comes to the history of uh, black Americans or African-Americans, whatever term you choose to use, I would say for sure that it probably wasn't until my late 20s that I actually started to get into um, some of the things that dispelled some of the uh, myths regarding the histories of our people, um, you know, once they got to this side. So just going to talk a little bit about the history of our people and then kind of go from there. I would say I learned more in the last probably 10 years of being married to you just because you love history. And even so I made straight A's in history. I can honestly say I probably didn't retain as much as I as much as I should. So, um, so let's just start with um with what you remember as far as like how they presented the Civil War to you. I know how they presented it to me, but they presented the Civil War to me as if it was a situation where, um, you know, the South was wanting to um, keep slavery and the North was wanting to get rid of it. But that's really not not the premise behind that, if you actually think about what was really going on. Right, right, right. You know, some of the things that were going on back then, it was pretty interesting. Um, one of the things, as far as the Civil War is concerned, and it's funny because as we sit here in Virginia, we have this road called the uh, Jefferson Davis Highway, or we mm-hmm. call it Route 1. Route 1. So, and of course, Jefferson Davis was the uh, the leader of the South. He was, he was actually the president uh, and if you want to take the time to look up his story and then, of course, you'll be able to hear some of it or see some of the things that happened to him after um, his presidency of the of the South. Um, it's pretty interesting. He, he did it. He did a lot of things. He did a lot of things. Everything wasn't um, perfect, but he, he did a lot of things. It's, it's an interesting read. But as far as the Civil War is concerned, you know, basically um, and as far as it how it impacted the blacks um, in America, you know, we were property. And as us being property, um, the more property you had in America, the, 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 the bigger you were, more important you were. Um, and actually you could actually, you know, you know, you had more money. So, um, 
in the North, they didn't really have slavery. So they had they had other means. So as, if you start to look at it, you will start to see that in the South, they they were doing pretty well for themselves. They were they were very um, um, uh, industrious, so to speak. They were they had all their crops, and especially, you know, cotton was king and they had a, a strong, robust uh, workforce. And that's how it, that affected um, the blacks in America at that time. Um, so at some point, the um, the union, which was head, the union itself or, or America itself, was obviously ran by uh, the president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. And he realized that at some point this is going to have to end. It's, it's almost unsustainable. Um, so they they went to the to the to the South and they said, hey, we would like to you know make a different arrangement. And the people in the South were like, no. We've we've spent our money. We've we've bought our slaves. We we have a way of life, and we're not willing to change it. So, in short, that's kind of you know what happened with the Civil War. And as you can see, right in the middle of all that were the uh, were the Black Americans that was um, that was living in America at that time. So it's funny because like the first time you know you explained that to me, you know, and looking at it from a standpoint of property uh, wise it makes sense to me now that it would be an issue for the people living up North to have a problem with what was happening down South, not so much that they wanted to end slavery, but it would be a situation where the people down South, if you owned land and you owned people to work that land, then you essentially were richer or you had more. And that would put you in a situation when you were basically in power Correct, and if correct. you and if you're looking from a position of power economics, if all of your economics is being run by how much land you have and how many slaves you have or how many black people you own and the north doesn't have that, then the north feels like they're getting the short end of the stick. Yeah, something to that effect. Yeah. So so it's not really a matter of Abraham Lincoln, you know, doing us a favor. It was a situation where everyone's trying to get equitable distribution of property land. And the only way to do that was to get rid of the biggest economic engine. What would have been the, which would have been black people. Yeah. Or slavery, or slavery itself. Yeah. And so forth. So it was, um, it was, it was interesting. Uh, of course, the civil war happened. We all know about that. And then at some point after that, uh, slavery was abolished, um, which was a, which was a good thing. And then of course, you know, we had a bunch of, um, things that happened after slavery, and of course, blacks were in the middle of that as well. We didn't find out till two years later, but that's neither here nor there. So <laughs> <laughs> we celebrate Juneteenth. Yeah. But nevertheless, go ahead. So, and then of course, you know, now here we are. We're trying to find our way through through this through this um, post um, Civil War uh, era, and of course, you know, there was one of the you know, second biggest migrations in the in, in in American history, where a lot of the Blacks uh, that were living in the, in the country at that time decided to um, go up north. They, they were looking for jobs. They were looking for um, you know somewhere they can go and and and, and plant their families and, and live live free. You know all the things that we want today as Americans. That's exactly um, what they wanted then. And then of course you know you have a, a large migration that went west as well, looking for the exact same thing. Just kind of wanted to get away from the um, you know f- you know from where they came from. Um, the the plantations and so forth and and, and all the the uh, racism and, and and basically all the the laws and the rules that were set up against them. So, but there were also those people that stayed, and those are the ones that 
we question the most because you have to question why did they not leave? And I think that's a, still a stigma even today when it comes to how, how we migrate, how we don't migrate or immigrate or immigrate, whichever word you uh, choose um, to use for the context. So what would you say, like you say, you know, they went north and some went west. Like, what about the people that stay? Like, what do you make, what do you think makes them not move? I mean, I have my own opinions of that, but I'm just wondering, like, what you think about why they won't leave the space where they, where they, when they, when they can after they've been, quote unquote, freed? Oh, that's a good question. They they had to make a way, uh, make a way of life. And it wasn't a year to year thing. It was a day to day thing. So in a lot of, a lot of cases, for right then and right there, this is the best that we have. You have an opportunity or you've been told that you can um, work the land and you can actually um, get paid and, and, and your families will be okay while you're there. And of course, you're supposed to be able to share the profits. Um, but obviously, at the end of the year, um, when the uh, profits are, are being put out, then all of a sudden there's a tax or a bill that you have for all the um for all the things that you used um, while you was there. Um, and that normally came from the, uh, the former slave um, um, owners. And so ultimately you didn't get anything. You kind of, you got just enough just so you can, you can make it. But the uh, slave owner still prospered because he was um, in short, you know, had free slavery or almost free slavery. <laughs> <laughs> An oxymoron free slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so even though they had the opportunity to leave, they really felt like, okay, well, I've been here this long. Correct, correct. Um, I, I know this land. You mm-hmm. know, um, my kids are here. Where am my, I going to go? My wife is here. I don't know anybody. Exactly. Um, why should I leave? Versus some of the people saying, you know what? I will take the risk and go up north and take my entire family and start someplace there. But what I find to be true when you start thinking about the reasons why they stay, those are some of the same reasons why we don't travel. When I say we, I mean Black Americans or um, African Americans, why we also don't travel. And it's simply because we're stuck to... This is where my family grew up. This This is is where my mom is. My uncle stays around the corner. My grandma is nearby. I don't want to move too far away from my family. And originally those places were, you know, um, how can I say economically deprived anyway, but you still stay there or people stay there and they just, and they do it for the most part because they have family there and they got friends there and they do have some, um, some, some heritage there and they have a loyalty to those locations. But uh, the question is, you know, do they have, do those locations have loyalty to you as an individual? So we end up making pretty much generational decisions by saying, um, oh, I don't I don't really want to go that far away. Like, uh, you know, we had we had talked about um, earlier, you know, you drop a pen dot, say I'm from here, take a protractor, draw a circle and say this is the only the radius I can go because I can hurry up and get back home to my mom, my dad, my grandma, my aunts, my cousins, because sure. you want to. And it's not that being close to family is a bad thing. But when it comes to making sure you have access to opportunities, if if the only reason why you're where you are is because of family, but you're missing out on the opportunities, you've got to ask yourself the question, what am, what am I actually doing? You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. 
So like I said, the world's a large place and especially, you know, in America, there's, there's a lot of opportunities, but if you, in some ways, you know, are kind of like, you know, I'm going to stay in my hometown, which like I said, I, I, I love my hometown as, hometown as well. And I can visit it anytime I want to, but at the same time, if the opportunities, you know, is, um, you know, another state away, another county away, uh, uh, another part of, of the United States, or even abroad, then I think it's, and if, I think you should take that seriously and look at it because you can always come home. I mean, this this is a modern day where you can obviously take an airplane or or, or jump in a car and go home and visit. But but you're also, um, but you're also saying in a lot of ways that I'm assuming that there was some point in your life where you also made decisions based upon the fact that you could be close to your parents or you could be close to family. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We all do it. Uh, like I said, sometimes it could be helpful, but a lot of times it, it could, you know, hinder you from opportunities. I can distinctly remember a time I was stationed in Germany and I was having a great time, but then I had the opportunity to get uh, stationed at home because I was in the U.S. Army uh, <laughs> at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and I'm from Fort Bragg. So it was a win-win situation. I got the opportunity to go home. and But again, I knew that was only for a few years and I was going to go somewhere else. So at the, at the end of the day, you know, when I got home, there were friends that had the opportunities in other places. And they'd say, no, I didn't leave because I want to stay close to home or I didn't leave because... I don't want to leave my grandma. Uh, I want to see my grandma more or, you know, or my granddad and things along that line. They had friends and family that were in the area and they wasn't willing to, you know, uh, test that relationship by going somewhere else and prospering and possibly learn um, a new culture or make more friends. So do you think that, I mean, I know I kind of feel the same way. I mean, I can think as far back as I can um, just traveling, even as a young person, um, we always went to go see family. They were they were never more than a six hour car drive away. And then when it came time to decide where I would go to undergraduate school, I can honestly say that when my, me and my mom decided where I was going to go, we simply picked a place that allowed me to get home within a few hours drive. And ironically enough, I had an uncle that had just moved to the area made it very simple, meaning that I had family if I needed anything. So a lot of the times, even in my own life, just thinking back on some of the decisions that I made based on where I was going to live, it was simply based upon those very same things that have been a generational anchor to why you don't go beyond <laughs> that radius that you drop with your protractor because you always, for some reason, you tell yourself, "I want to be close to them," as if, as if they, as if planes don't exist, as if trains don't exist, as if buses don't. Like you can always get to people as long sure, as there's transportation, sure, but but we pigeonhole ourselves a lot a lot of times um, by just making excuses for not going where the opportunities actually are. And a lot of the times the opportunities are never where we grew up. Not that they don't exist. Sure. I mean, would you say for sure right now as you're 49, are, are there opportunities in Fort Bragg right now? I mean, I wish everybody in the harm's way of the flood and what's happening there, you know, their safe return of power and <laughs> back to their normal way of life because it's pretty devastating yes, down there exactly, at this point. So exactly. um, 
So beyond the flood, I can, I'm asking, like, do you think that that would be a place that you would have been able to prosper? Um, yes, I could have prospered. Um, I, I'm, you know, but again, you know, it might have been a little bit more difficult and so forth. But I had my head looking forward and I got an opportunity opportunity other places. Um, and it, it wasn't such an uphill battle. So I took those opportunities and I went with it. I didn't look back. And when I say I didn't look back, meaning that if there was an opportunity back at home, I wasn't going to say, OK, let me get rid of my good opportunity to go get this uh, back home opportunity, which at some point would only lead me to a, a particular place. So with that being said, uh, or to answer your question, yeah, I think uh, I, I would have been better served, you know, if there's opportunity opportunity somewhere else, leave home and stop really thinking about um, the, you know, what happened way back when, when we got our freedom um, and we just basically stayed where we were. That, that did not benefit us. I agree. So basically, um, you have to take a chance and move beyond uh, where you grew up. We're heading toward our first break right now, ladies and gentlemen. We will be right back. Don't forget to send us your questions at info at therealsouthafrica.com or tweet us at rsouth underscore Africa. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Everyday News with the Blantons. Want to find out more about the program? Send an email to info at therealsouthafrica.com. Now, back to Everyday News with the Blantons. Welcome back. You are continuing listening to Everyday News with the Blantons. Mark and I just finished talking about some of the 
uh, history of black Americans and why they have a hard time moving away from mama. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But at the same time, we're going to go ahead and move forward to those people that are not afraid to move away from mama and talk about some of the people that have already taken that journey to become expats of the United States and just how they came to that decision, what they think the benefits are, and more importantly, how they are succeeding living outside of the United States. So um, one of the most famous people that we know that took that journey to live outside of the United States was James Baldwin. You guys can look him up if you don't know who he is. Um, he said some pretty profound things yes, well yes, before I was born. Um, And his words still kind of ring true today. So um, just want to give you a little bit of an overview about what some of the people that have decided to move beyond the U.S. have said about how they came to that decision. Okay. Um, Another thing, too, with the uh, term, you know, if you never heard it, an uh, uh, expat or expatriate, it just basically refers to somebody, uh, regardless of color, of course, um, that you do not reside in, and that you chose not to reside in the United States, and you chose to live somewhere else, but you are a, still a citizen of the U.S. Meaning so that, wait a minute, an expatriate is not someone who does not like the New England Patriots? Nope. Oh, okay. Nope, All right, nope, good, nope, good, nope, good. Nope. Just want to make sure we clear that up. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a Brady fan out there somewhere, I'm so sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, like I said, most people who, especially people who are U.S. citizens who on their own decide to say, you know what, I want to try another culture. I want to live somewhere else for whatever their reasons are there. Like I said, they're referred to as expatriates or for for the short term, um, expats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, some of the research that we've done, basically people have said, or black people, I should say, black Americans have said that a lot of the reasons why they choose to leave stems from just the, I don't want to call it, well, I guess I do have to call it that. I have to call it systemic racism and I have sure. to call it oppression. Correct. And, they're, and they've cited what I think the most important thing, um, which you can't really describe if you've never been anywhere to feel the relief of it. Um, I had one uh, article that I read, a young lady had described living outside of the United States as a enormous psychic relief. You know, when you think about how you are are psychologically living here as a uh, black person, it really is a a drain days, even when you don't realize that it is until you go someplace else and don't have to deal with the elephant in the room. Um, And to describe it that way is probably the most clear way that I can I I can identify with. Um, I think you've seen some other things as well where people have to describe it a certain way. Yeah, like I said, a lot of a lot of people come up with those with that decision is because, like I said, their experiences, you know, as a minority um, in the United States. And if you're not a minority, trust me, there is a definite pressure or weight being a minority, and then in some cases even more uh, being descendants of slaves and, being, of course, being black. Um, like I said, it's a definite weight that when you wake up every day, is 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 there. When you go into the office, it's there. When you're in your car listening to your music with the windows up, it's there. It's always there. So just if if anything, just believe me when I tell you it is a it is it is is it's omnipresent all the time. So, but at the at the same time, um, some people come up with you know other options. You know they you know they try to cope with it. 
Um, they do a, a lot of various things. A lot of people just take time off and they travel and they go to other places. And the funny thing about them going to other places for just for a short period of time, they don't have to deal with it. They don't think about it and it never comes at them. They don't never get the stare downs, the looks or anything that make them or reminds them of their status here um, in the United States. Um, and of course, the weight that they feel on a day to day basis here in the U.S., even if it's only for seven days or 10 days or 14 days, it, it, it goes away and it's definitely a relief. I think that um, what we take for granted is the mental drain at times, just being in a place where you really don't feel like you're welcome. I mean, we talk about it all the time. We see a lot of the injustices that happen on the news and you hear a lot of people saying things like, you know, um, the laws weren't designed for us. So those are all facts. Um, when you think about, you know, how some of the rules in the Constitution are written, when you think about some of the um, the specific ways the laws are written, they're not really written to protect Black people the way we would love to believe it's supposed to be equal. So when you go to other places and you don't have to deal with the fact that you know that the laws there are, are not designed against you, like some of the ones here or most of the ones here, it kind of puts you in a, a nice mental state where you actually can relax. You actually do feel free. And there was another article that we just um, also read recently that talks about the questions, you know, do you really feel freer when you're not in the United States? And the answer a lot of the times is actually yes, because you don't actually, you get so used to the, um, the pressures of, of the racism, of the oppression that you it literally just becomes, you don't even notice it anymore. You just know that it's there. And then finally, when the weight is lifted, you're like, oh, that's what this is supposed to feel like. Exactly. I mean, I can say for myself, when I first landed in South Africa, and that was uh, seven, eight years ago now, mm-hmm. I didn't even know. All I did was land in the plane. And when <laughs> and when I read the article that said it was an enormous psychic relief, all I did was land on the plane. I hadn't got off the plane. I hadn't. They hadn't even opened the cabin door. And the weight that came off of me, it wasn't because the because they, they depressurized the cabin. That's not what it was for. Um, <laughs> it it really felt like a weight came off of me. And ironically enough, when I was at the airport getting ready to come back home, as uh, I felt like the weight of having to come back home sat right back on my shoulders, and I balled my eyes out when I had to leave because I knew what I was coming back to. And unless you feel that for yourself, I can express it all day long. And I've read several articles where people have lived in other places, not just South Africa. They've been to places like Brazil, Honduras. They've been to um, even some Asian continents, um, countries on the Asian, um, on the the Philippines, yeah. And they have experienced the same thing, saying that they just feel like where they are, that they can have the American dream in other places. You know, they say things like the American dream never got to be real for them, even though they were successful here in America, that they're never felt like there was a possibility. And that's something that a lot of black people will say. They never feel like the possibility that they can truly become part of the society. I mean, we want to believe that we have the possibility, but I mean, we look at people like Oprah and Jada. Oh yeah. And in all honesty, like 
are they really part of the society or are they are they like the exception? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think they're more or less the exception. Because I don't think that, I mean, we shouldn't still have to be touting, oh, this is the first black person. I think John Legend was the first one to win an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Mm-hmm. Like, why are we touting that? Like, that should just be regular. But we have to point out that he's the first black person to do that. It's like, we should be beyond that at this point. Do you know what I mean? Correct, correct. And, you know, and, and no no uh, way are we saying that everybody should just get up and just say, oh, we're leaving tomorrow. We're going to the airport. <laughs> no. Don't do that. Yeah. But what we are saying, especially, you know, you know, it took us X amount of years to get here. And some of the things that you might want to think about um, as an African-American um, is, you know, I, I'll tell you a little short little story. You know, I... I you know, I think about the, you know, because we're all ultimately just made up of, of, of our of our DNA. And I really do think think from our perspective that our DNA came across that came across the river or the big pond, whatever you want to call it, and uh, landed here. And I'm sure the first few generations longed, longed to go back home. You know, they tried to pass down the stories, keep the culture. And in some ways they did. In some ways they didn't. It got it got beat out of them, so to speak. Um, at, at the end of the day, here we are. I'm sure there was somebody you know, five or six generations ago that look just like me, just like me, probably talk a little different. There is nobody as handsome as you five uh, or six no, that's, generations that's ago. Not true. There's a guy, <laughs> There's a guy that looked just like me and so forth. But the funny part about it is he couldn't go home. And then, of course, all the history of the day happens. And then now we get this these liberties to be able to jump on an airplane. And go anywhere we want in the world as long as we can pay for a ticket. Yeah, you got to pay to pay for a ticket. Yeah, a ticket. No, no stowaways. No yeah, stowaways. and make sure your baggage is under a certain poundage. Yeah, um, but outside of that, you pretty much can go where you want to go because you have one of the most powerful uh, tools for travel is that passport. U.S. passport? Yeah, it's one of the most powerful tools because a lot of people with their passports just can't go anywhere. But as U.S. citizens, we can pretty much go everywhere. Not everywhere, but a lot of places. Use your passports while you can before The Handmaid's Tale actually happens. There she goes. I'm sorry. <laughs> series freaked me out, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, the reason I the reason I brought up the DNA thing, because it's kind of like when you finally get on the plane and you're, you know, it's, it's like your DNA has been dormant. I mean, you've been, you know, you know, doing okay as a human being, doing what you can, educating yourself, moving about, you know, doing things, but you don't know what you missed. And then you you get on a plane and you land on the continent of Africa. And like Tasha said earlier, you know, all of a sudden, you you know, you, you feel different. And at some point, you start feeling like you're at home. Yeah. And and it happens fairly quickly. It just takes about a day and a half. You know, you're, you're, that DNA has been in America for 400 plus years or however long it's been there. But now all of a sudden, it's been back on the continent. For a short period of time, and some odd reason in your heart, you're like, man, I, I, you know, I feel like I'm back at home, and that's interesting. That is that is very interesting. Now, with that being said, I'm not saying just get up, pack your bags, and go to the airport because there's a lot of international airports. But what I am saying is at least start a, a, a relationship um, with Africa. How do you do that? It's probably the same when same way you did it with the Bahamas. Same way you did it with any Caribbean country or even other any other foreign country. You you book your trip, you go, you spend some time, you go again, you spend some time, and then eventually you will start seeing something that you didn't see before. You will start seeing yourself walking around the street. Hey, that person looks like me. Hey, that person looks like me. Because you know what? You're back home. And that's generally how it works. 
it's funny when you say, you know, um, you feel like you're back home. I think yet another article that I read uh, talks about how uh, when black Americans get there, how they can sometimes be off putting. Now you hear a lot of information that says South Africans don't like black Americans. And how can we say we're at home when we've met when we're not from there. And the thing is, it doesn't necessarily have to be an issue where like you feel like you're at home. If feels like that's just where you're supposed to be. And usually when you feel like you're someplace you're supposed to be, you describe it as being at home. So when you talk about building relationships, when you get to the continent of Africa, or even when you go to the Caribbean or whether you go to the Bahamas or the case may be, you build those relationships by, by frequenting those places. I will say that the easiest way to be off-putting to a, an African is to be the unequivocal, ugly American. Mm. So you can't go there with your preconceived notions of what you think Africa is going to be. The best way, and you can read other articles of people that have been there as well, and they all tell you the same thing. If you really want to, to be accepted into the culture, you have to basically leave your American culture at home and try to learn as much as you can about where you are. And that's going to be the same whether you move to Honduras, whether you move to South Africa, whether you move to China, whether you move to Japan. You're going to have to put down everything that is American and try to get yourself into the culture that is. We are Black Americans here, and we're very, very, very much American, and we're still not accepted here. There's nothing else that we can do there's nothing more that we can do to accept here. I mean, we go to their colleges, we go to their universities, we learn their languages, we, we, we do everything and we're still not even accepted. So when you think about how many positive experiences you can have um, outside of the, uh, the United States, that's one of the things that you would want to think about. So a lot of the times they're able to succeed simply because they put off their American culture. Exactly. And I think what, what Tasha is trying to trying to say and what I'm saying as well is that once you get there um, as an African-American and you, you know, you, you know, you, you put down your culture, they're going to ask you a lot of questions, of course, because they watch our TV and these things. And that's fine. And they're going to have a bunch of questions. But put down, you know, like I said, check it at customs, you know, when you <laughs> just leave it there and then you'll We'll find out when you get there. There's a there's probably a large expat community there anyway of African Americans, especially in some of these African countries, and they're doing very well for themselves. They're doing very very well. Um, a lot of them are successful. They they're starting their own businesses. They uh, work for multinational companies. They're probably living at at a, at a, at a high uh, at, at a high level, um, better than what they could have done if they stayed in Chicago or L.A or even Dallas, Texas, or any of, the, any of our major cities um, for a lot of reasons. But at the, at the end of the day, um, in our personal travels, we've run across so many um, African-Americans that have, like I said, became expats, started their own multinational companies. They have, what have, what have they done? They've they've pretty much done it all. I, I can I can go down the list. And, you know, and a lot of them, especially in South Africa, and because we go there all the time, they, um, they're doing very well for themselves. They're happy and they, you know, they come home once a year and they see their family and friends. And by the time they're there for like a month, they're like, okay, it was great. Now let me get back to my, you know, to my real life. 
and right. so forth. So um, there is a lot of ways to succeed. Uh, you know, the good thing about Africa is that they're they do have a lot of need and reference uh, to, you know, smart people, you know, people with good ideas, things along that line. And if you're one of those people in your travels back and forth, you'll run across them. One and number two, um, you can actually feel that need at, at, at some point. So it's just something to look at and just something that we wanted to bring up. So leaving home sometimes isn't bad. We're not saying leave America forever. No, I'm not saying that at all. You can if you choose. But at the end of the day, at least start building building a relationship. You know, uh, it doesn't take 20 people to do it. It takes one person to go over there, make friends with people, come back, tell another, go back and make friends. So, it you know, those opportunities do exist. Those aren't advertised on the uh, on the on the on the social uh, or the or the work websites or the job websites, but they're there. All right, so we're getting ready to head into our second break. So thank you guys for listening, and don't forget to tweet us or send us questions at info at therealsouthafrica.com. We'll be right back. Thanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath, emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to everyday news with the blantons want to find out more about the program send an email to info at the now back to everyday news with the blantons welcome back we are heading into our last segment of everyday with the blantons once again i'm your host latasha and i'm here with my husband mark blanton and we've just kind of talked a little bit about everything the first two segments from the history of black americans to how expats feel about 
traveling outside of the United States, some of the benefits of living outside of the States. Um, I can say personally, the biggest benefit sometimes, no one wants to say it, but it's actually the color of your skin. It can be seen as an asset a lot of the times. And unfortunately, we don't get to see the benefit of our skin color being an asset. And so actually leave the country. Um, another one of the articles I read, um, there was a person that said that despite the anger that some Africans have toward African Americans, that they would still rather do business with them than a white American because they can be seen as aggressive and insensitive. So just keep that in mind. Like we said, the prior segment, if you're going to go to another country, don't be aggressive. Don't be insensitive. It's seen as you being an ugly American. So that is one thing you want to make sure you leave. Exactly. At, check it at customs. Um, <laughs> that's what I. That's what I would say. So, Mark, you've lived outside of the country for a total of about five, five years. years. Mm-hmm. And your experience was in Germany. In Germany. Germany. I've never been to Germany, so unfortunately, this is your neck of the woods. What was what what did you think about living in Germany? I mean, obviously you grew up in a military town. So did you experience any racism growing up in Fort Bragg at all? Um, you know, it's funny, you know, I think I grew up in a bubble because I'm sure it was there. I just never saw it. When I was young, I was eighteen. But um with it being a military town and it's everybody, you know, that's it's it, racism and all those you know, forms of it aren't tolerated in the military. It's just green. If you wear a uniform, then everybody respects you because of, of your accomplishments and your rank. So I didn't didn't get into that. I didn't actually, um, when I got out of the Army when I was 32 years old, I think that was the first time I was like, whoa, what's really going on um, out here? And That's a real bubble. 30, 32 years in a bubble. Time, long time. My bubble was not, yeah. I would say I was about three mm-hmm. when I actually realized that I was black <laughs> whenever that was yeah. black um my mom will tell you the story um i come home from preschool and i'm like mommy i am the brownest thing in my classroom and she's looking at me like how do i explain to this kid that she is not like everyone else that she sees because i was mm-hmm. the only black person in, in in nursery school at the time so she had to politely explain to me that God made all of us in different colors, but she said to me words that I think now probably hindered a lot of my progress growing up, which was that it didn't matter. And the truth is, it did matter. And it mattered all the way up until right now. So (laughs) I would say for sure, you know, for you, you had it made. Yeah. You got to grow up in a multi... um, cultural environment and mm-hmm. never had anybody remind you constantly that you were black. black. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I was, I was proud. I was James Brown proud, but um, I know you had asked me just a second ago about, you know, living overseas yeah, absolutely. As, a, as an, as an African-American. Yeah. And like I said, you know, being in the army, uh, I, I'm, you're going to always hear this from me being in the army. Being in the army. Oh yeah. It was great. I'm sure there's a lot of us out there. Um, you know, who are, who are, who are soldiers and, you know, sailors and, and Marines and, and even the Coast Guard people. 
But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got to count those. I'm so glad. Oh, I, so I nice. forgot my Air Force buddies. Yeah, don't know? forget your yeah, Air Force buddies. Yeah, their birthday is in 1947. Oh, my gosh. The, uh, the Air Force became the Air Stop Force. Stop being the history person. Yeah, for, they used to be part of the, the Army as stuff. the Army Here we go. Air uh, Corps. Long sorted story. Okay. But. Living in Germany. Yeah. Your brown, your brown skin's in Germany. Yeah, no, my brown skin's in Germany. I wasn't the only one, but there was plenty of us out there. And, you know, it, I think it really, uh, you know, started back during the uh, during uh, World War Two when, you you know, you had a lot of soldiers that were stationed in Germany directly after, um, you know, World War Two, And, you know, they, you know, went out for the first time and people were curious, like, what are they? Who are they? You know, I'm sure they saw, they've seen Africans, but they've never seen too many African-Americans. And back then, back then we were called something else. And so when I got there in 1989, it was, it was the same experience <laughs> that those guys um, uh, experienced. People were very... Hold up, you got to Germany when I was 11? Yes. Wow. I was like, for real, like <laughs> hardcore going into like fifth or sixth grade. Oh, yeah. It was You're great. an old man, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Um but I'm a good old man. Yes, but, you are. <laughs> well, and what happened was, you know, when you get there, you 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 start traveling around, you start moving about, and then obviously you go into the other countries, France. You take your trips to to uh, to uh, Amsterdam, of course, and then you drive up to to um, to London and you know Great Britain and all these different places, Switzerland. You know, you just go everywhere and. One of the things that I found out when I was there that, like I said, everybody treated me very well. I got treated, I got treated better than I did when I was at home. Now That's that, what I wanted to know. Exactly, yeah. it's a resounding um, story, and like I said, that story is happening. It's 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 playing itself out right now with a, with a young 18, 19 year old who's just got to Germany or got to some foreign country, and he's realizing really quick that you know uh, the way he he got treated back at his hometown. Um, is a lot different than he's getting treated where he is right now. And so you ultimately, what I found out later on, that some of those old civilian guys, especially black guys that in 1989 that wasn't in the Army anymore, they used to be in the Army, they got out, and they could have went home, but they decided to stay. And they stayed for the very reason that they knew what they were going to come home to. Exactly. They knew what they was going to come home to. They was getting treated better um, um, there and at the same time, you know, it wasn't like they was, uh, well, some of them were working for the Germans um, in in, a, in some capacity, but a lot of them, a lot of them were working because they had skills working for the U.S. military uh, over there. But they preferred that. Um, another scenario too, um, when I was in the army, um, people <laughs> dot, <laughs> like, dot dot dot. Yeah, this technically at that, that time, and I think it's still the same. There was two armies. There was continental United States. Army, we call it CONUS, and then you got you got USERA. Um, don't try to repeat it, but it's just United States Army Europe. And there were guys that would get there, and say in 1989, and they would they would they would spend their almost their entire career in Germany and do 20 years in the military, maybe even longer, and and retire and then stay right in Germany because they got used to, you know, getting treated well. They liked the environment that you know they didn't have to deal with a lot of racism. They they kind of like you know, found their niche uh, through the military and they decided that that was that was a better life for them versus going home and, you know, hearing about what happened to their friends and 
this happened and that happened. And how they were being treated. Yeah, and how they was being treated. Um, you know, obviously back then, you know, we didn't have cell phones, so you had to write a letter. I distinctly remember that. So you always had stamps. And then, of course, you always had coins. So you can get in the... In the, in the, the please in the, don't say phone booth. In the phone booth. No, God, stop eating you, yourself already. And you call home just trying no. to find out what's going on. But, you know, everybody's wondering, are you okay? And you're like, I'm... I'm Great. Better than you are. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm doing okay. So during that time that you were in Germany, you basically traveled to as many other countries as you could, and then you transitioned from Germany, um, and then you ultimately get a job at the Secret Service, and here you are, and you're traveling in the United States at this point. So you, sure, so you sure. travel more in the states than you ever had before with the with the job, correct? Yes. yes. Now, how are would you say that you were still a little bit shielded? from racism on like actually uh, on jobs but definitely not inside the job well actually i wasn't shielded at all uh i mean it was great that i was law enforcement so if i ran into a situation where i ended up having to i remember one time in particular um i'm I'm federal law enforcement i have my gun on my hip um i'm in plain clothes and i have my badge but you know i was sitting down that they, they couldn't see me but there was a local law enforcement guy in uniform he saw me and I'm sitting there with some of my friends and uh, they were non-law enforcement. They worked wherever they worked. And he, he came over and, you know, he was kind of kind of stern, like, what are you doing with that weapon, sir? And so forth. And so, I mean, just he was he was a little bit over the top. And of course, I just looked at him for a second to let him, you know, of course, being respectful and let him say what he wants to say. Um, and then at that point, I just kind of kindly let him put up my what we call credentials and let him know that um, I was federal law enforcement and so forth. And then, of course, he. You know, you know, he stepped away. So I felt protected because I did have those credentials. So I didn't have to deal with that. The um, law enforcement side um, of, of being harassed or anything like that. But as far as the everyday somebody sees me, you know, the reaction that I get, um, it, it, you know, I started seeing that a lot more. And it kind of kind of upset me a little bit because I, I, I didn't know what I did to 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 um, to cause those types of reactions. Uh, you were born a black man. Mm. That's what you did. So it's funny that you have basically two totally different experiences. You know, you've got your experiences here in the United States under law enforcement. You've got your experience in Germany and overseas and Europe as a black man. And then you've got your experiences in our favorite country, South Africa. Yes, I do have have a few experiences. You do have a few experiences (laughs) there. So, you know, just in general, you know, we talk about it all the time. I mean, we even named our company, company The Real South Africa. And it's simply because of, do you think it's just the way that we feel when we're there? Or do you think it's the way that we treat it? Or like, like, what is it for you? I know what it is for me, but what is it for you? And you can kind of recap. I know you probably touched on it last week. But what was the... Uh, the thing that made you say, this is definitely the place where I want to consider living out the rest of my days. Like, what was it? Well, it's funny, you know, you know, every country, regardless of where it is, especially if it has a government, is going to have a problem. It, there, there's just a problem. Uh, I'm going to just read this real quick, something that I happened to run across while I was on the Internet. Um, so it's an African-American male. He's about 45 years old. He lives in South Africa. He says, for all South Africa's problems, and they do have them, mm-hmm. I like living in a country where it is not illegal to be black. <laughs> and that's, yeah. This country does have its version of the Mexican problem with regards to immigrants from Malawi, 
in Zimbabwe. However, when I turn on my television, most people are black, meaning that the default positive role models are also black. All the politicians that I either support or complain about are black. My doctor, <laughs> lawyer, butcher, baker, and of course the candlestick maker are also more likely to be black. An alien concept to most black people who have only lived in the West. I strategically choose to be in a black environment, a choice. It's given me peace of mind and has had significant impact on how I raised my youngest son, raising a child with healthy self-esteem and positive associations with blackness trumps almost any support benefit of living in a white or non-black country. So when you say uh, we named our, com our company the real South Africa, because that's the, that's the South Africa that I want people to know about. You know, yes, there was, we had apartheid, yes, you know, there's some injustices going on here and there, just like in any society. But what I just read is is the part that I like the most, especially for uh, for us in this topic. OK, so just so just think about what I read. And I'm just going to kind of um, reach back with that it says when I turn on the television, most people are black, meaning that the default positive role models are also black. All the politicians that I either support or complain about are black. The doctor, the lawyer, the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker are more likely to be black. And that's important. So, you know, I think that the thing that kind of solidified it for you, kind of gave you the okay, um, your, we had the opportunity to take your mom with us to South Africa. Yes, I did. Um, and she's passed away now. So rest in peace, Miss Thelma. Um, <laughs> she said a lot of profound things to you throughout your life. But I think one of the things that she said the most, um, the thing that stuck with you the most was that when you were expressing how much you loved it there and she could feel it and she could see it and she experienced it for herself. And I think you told her that you said, you know, mom, I really want to live here. And I think that She's what did she say to you? She said, yeah, well, she basically just she just expressed to me, she said, son, <laughs> you know, as, as she spoke to me, that if you can make it happen, then I think you should make it happen. Basically, she supported it. She said, if you can make it happen, then you should do it. Because, like I said, she's been there. She saw it for herself. And as a, at the time, she was roughly about 67, 68 years old. She was thoroughly impressed uh, with everything she saw. So. I think that the ultimate decision basically came down to not that you would not have wanted to, you know, eventually move there. But I think if when 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 your mama says it's OK for you to move okay. far away okay. and you, for you to move outside that protractor circle that we talked about, that's kind of when when you kind of give the OK. So, you know, for us, just all of those positive feelings that you can have living outside of the country the experiences, the benefits that you have for just having brown skin that you don't get to, ex to experience here are at least the reasons why you should travel. So we encourage you to visit our website, 
therealsouthafrica.com to get more information about why you should at least travel outside of the country. And if you have any questions for us, please be sure to reach out to us on social media and definitely send us an email at info at therealsouthafrica.com. Just to recap everything we went over today, gave a little bit of a history of Black people in the United States why people have chosen to live outside of the United States, and more importantly, why we think that South Africa is the place that we will probably end up uh, defaulting to when the time comes. So we encourage you all to do your research on countries that are brown skin friendly. And in the meantime, we encourage you to have fun, be safe in the process. And until next Monday, Have fun and educate yourself in the process. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next Monday. Thank you for tuning in to Everyday News with the Blantons. We hope you've enjoyed today's program and we'll tune in again next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a nice week.